Thank you so much for tuning in to She's All Over the Place with Kiriaki. That's me. Welcome, welcome to She's All Over the Place. Today we have an exciting episode for you all about misophonia. Tom Dozier, he has a master's in behavior science, and so he's the first master I've had on the show for behavior science. And this means so much to me because I am always like analyzing and researching neuroscientists and understanding our thought patterns and our brain patterns. And everyone who's tuned into the show knows they're like, are you a psychologist? I'm always talking about psychology and understanding human behavior, you know, who we are, how we develop, who we are, all that jazz. And Tom and I have spent some sessions together. He is so brilliant. And I actually found found out about Tom through my sister, Anna Chinakis, who's awesome. And she told me about misophonia. She sent me um, the misophonia uh, Institute. And so I contacted Tom immediately. And we've had some, you know, chats back and forth. And it really uh, was able for me to deep dive. We'll talk about scuba diving later, but I was able to deep dive into what it means. And now um, I'm learning the language through Tom. And I'm able to um, understand myself more. And um, I, I thought it was really important that, oh my gosh, like I've been on the hunt for two decades now and I'm just hearing about this as of six months ago. I definitely wanted to bring it to you and share it with my audience. And we now have over 4,000 um, subscribers, downloads, listens um, per month. So thank you so much for tuning in and being here. We honor you, we value you. I know you're gonna be able to identify with some of the things um, we're talking about today. And I am going to be, I don't wanna say a guinea pig, but I'm going to be the muse. And so we can directly talk about um, my experiences so far. So you can learn through us and then um, you know we're a ripple effect for you. So um, definitely check out the Misophonia Institute. The show notes will be below. So you can read up on it and get in touch with Tom yourself if you identify and or you know a family member or someone who definitely will identify with what we're going to be talking about today. So with no further ado, Tom, take it away. Thanks for being here. Hey, it's great to be here. What do we want to say about misophonia? I guess we're talking to people who may have never heard of the word misophonia. What does it mean? Miso means anger, dislike, and phonia is sounds. And so the kind of the original definition was it was people would get up upset when they heard certain sounds. Now, we've since learned that it's not just sounds. It can be things you see, it could be things you touch, uh, vibrations, but it's some little thing, sniffing, chewing, tapping, birds chirping. Uh, for those of you who have steam heat, the pipes knock when, when they heat up and cool down. That was a trigger for one person. But people hear just a normal little sound and go, oh, I can't stand that sound. It's almost like thinking of uh, fingernails on a chalkboard, but much worse, and for just normal sounds. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. it's this kind of unknown reflex reaction. I got into this in 2012. My primary career is a parenting coach. So that's that's my love and my passion. But had a mom of a 12-year-old tell me that her daughter had this untreatable hearing disorder that was going to ruin her life. She wasn't going to be able to have stable relationships. It was just going to cripple her, her throughout her life. Yet the girl had auditory, visual, and olfactory triggers. And she reacted the same to all three. Well, that cannot be a defect in the hearing system. If you're getting it in through your eyes, your nose, and your, and your ears, it's a general reflex condition. And so I just thought, Hey, I'm a fix it guy. Mm. My 
first career was a manufacturing engineer and engineering manager. I love to fix things and solve problems. So I thought, hey, I'm going to apply the science of behavior to this problem and see what we can find. Because at that time, I went out and did a uh, Google Scholar search, which is a great thing. If you ever want to look for research, scholar.google.com. And I think there were three articles, none of which were research that mm. mentioned misophonia. Mm. So it was just unknown. And so I just started investigating it, talking to people, working on things, looked for treatments that could change reflexes, and have just been investigating it and working on it ever since. And which year did you start doing that research? 2012. 2012. Okay. And then um, thank you for sharing that. And how long has misophonia been known? Who coined it? Um, when did it start? If you could share that with us. Sure. So it was first identified in 1997 by audiologist Marcia Johnson, and she called it selective sound sensitivity syndrome. She had a tinnitus, tinnitus clinic and had these parents bring in their mostly teenage girls who just couldn't stand the sound of mom breathing or mom sniffing. And so she said, this is unique enough. This is not um, tinnitus. This is not the, not the volume of the sound. It's something else. And so she coined it, uh, called it select, selective sound sensitivity syndrome. And she brought this to the awareness of Pavo and, ya and Margaret Yastrobov, who had been her tinnitus trainers, who had developed the tinnitus process. And then about 2001, uh, the Yastrobovs called it misophonia, miso for dislike and phonia for sound. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's, and it's really a, a bad, a bad name because it's, you know, it's sound, sights, vibrations, touch, smells, could be anything. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then it's just kind of grown from that point. It, it really hit the kind of takeoff in about 2012 when there was a, an article published in the New York Times about something like, does the sound uh, uh, of chomp, I don't know what it was, but chomp or slurp uh, trigger for rage or something like that. Mm. And uh, it brought the awareness up. And that was the first kind of public awareness of misophonia. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Thank you for sharing that. Okay, cool. And then um, when did you create the uh, misophoniainstitute.org? Uh, 2016. I was putting out videos, creating, doing publishing, you know, trying to make awareness of this condition. And I decided that I needed something beyond just me. And so I, the directors are myself as president. The uh, secretary is uh, Chris Pearson, who is a hypnotherapist who works with misophonia in the UK and Nate Mitchell, who's a psychologist, he's the treasurer. So this is like a, a virtual institute where we try to get the word out, try to publish research, try to help yeah. people. Yeah, you were telling me about Chris and I did hypnosis with Marissa Peer, who's this world-renowned, amazing hypnotherapist I found through Mind Valley, and she's in Europe and I've done her program. She's amazing, RTT. And um, you were mentioning Chris and I definitely want to um, tune in with him and try his hypnosis for um, misophonia and um, in, in the near future, have him on the podcast if he is up for it. I think um, he would be. Oh, cool. So we'll, we'll make that happen for season five. That would be awesome. Kind of jumping ahead and around, circling back in. You have a couple different apps. I downloaded uh, the gold one and it's free and they're about 17 minutes long. And so do you want to share about uh, the apps that you developed and, and how people can tap into that immediately? Sure. 
Yes, one of the things that we find with misophonia is that people are very tense. And misophonia fundamentally is a physical reflex disorder, even though what's really recognized is the emotional explosion. But people will hear a sound and they'll tense up and it just creates this overall horrible, I've never been triggered, so I don't know, Katie. I don't know what it's like to be triggered. You do better than I do because you've been triggered. But it creates this overall horrible experience. And the way that you can learn to relax your muscles on demand, like I can relax my hand, but I can't relax my neck or the muscles between my back. So uh, the way you learn to relax muscles is through a technique called progressive muscle relaxation. I call it muscle relaxation training. And so I made the misophonia muscle relaxation training app because a fundamental part of the treatment I provide is one, teaching people how to relax, mm. developing the skill. It's like playing the piano or a sport develop the skill of relaxing, and then relaxing in the presence of triggers that are smaller, smaller triggers. And then that causes the, the reflex of misophonia to go down. So the, the misophonia muscle relaxation app helps you do therapy sessions or relaxation sessions, training sessions to learn, develop the skill of relaxing on demand. And then when you're more relaxed, everything's better. Right. And it just sounds, oh, so simple, but actually it's the fundamental part of practicing to do it. So it becomes uh, like your master's of behavioral science that are, it's muscle memory. So our muscles have their own brain. So our muscles remember to develop for healing and to minimize the misophonia, right? Right. Relaxing before triggers the more stressed you are, and you've probably found this out, Katie, that the more stressed you are, stressed you are, or you're getting sick or you're feeling bad, the worse your misophonia triggers are. Mm-hmm. Right? That it, it it zaps you worse. So the relaxation training helps you develop the skill of relaxing your muscles when you're going into a situation where there might be triggers. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It actually is a great treatment for anxiety. So for anybody who has anxiety, learn, developing the skill of relaxing on demand is a huge skill. And that's what it was developed for was anxiety. And so you you relax when you're going into a situation where there may be triggers, you relax immediately after a trigger to reduce the anger, suppress the, because emotions are what's going on in our brain and our brain looks down into the body and says, hey body, what do you say? So if I'm, if I'm going, ooh, that's horrible, I'm so angry, and look at all those tight muscles. Yeah, you're ready to punch somebody. You're super angry. But but if it's like, hey, your brain says, you're so angry. This is horrible. And it looks down at the body and goes, but your muscles are relaxed. What's wrong? Wait a minute. You can't be really that angry because your muscles are relaxed. And so it really shortens the recovery cycle. Mm-hmm. But being relaxed before triggers and through the triggers and a little bit afterwards starts to change that fundamental reflex that comes out of what I call your lizard brain. Oh, and that's exactly what I was going to prompt you to next. So there's three different parts of our brain, correct? And then this one right by our neck, it's called our lizard brain, right? That's what I call it. Let me grab my little little visual here, right, that I use with, with, with patients that you have your thinking brain, your cerebrum up top, you have your emotional brain, your limbic system in the middle, and your autonomic nervous system, your reptilian brain or your 
I call it your lizard brain. By the way, this is your motor cortex. So there's actually a fourth spot there, but three that reads the phonia and this lizard brain. And that's what zaps you. People who develop misophonia develop a physical reflex somewhere in their body when they hear that sniff or that crunch or hear the bird chirp, a muscle, the lizard brain goes, oh, boom, and it hits you with the muscle, hits that muscle. That is a, it's like being tasered just a little bit. Mm -hmm. And that triggers the extreme emotions, which coming, which is coming out of a little spot behind your, uh, there's a communication hub called the anterior insula. And that relays out to the ventromedial prefrontal cortex, which is an emotional reflex learning structure. And then it relays back, okay, anger, rage, disgust. And then this command center fires down into the amygdala and hippocampus and all breaks loose. And we're not even thinking about it. It's just, it, it, it happens through our body. So we don't have time to be like, oh, this is about to happen into my insula, blah, blah, blah. Like a cerebral yeah, no, cortex. It, like it right. just, it, it happens. It's a part of behavioral science. It's um, a reflex. Yeah. You know, so, it's like, can I stop sweating? No. You know, so you're going to be triggered. Yeah. So, and, and also anyone who wants to uh, tune into the video, um, we're just on the YouTube. So you can just type in uh, Katie Chinaka's YouTube and um, you she's all over the place. You can check out the Misophonia um, Institute video if you want to see the visual that Tom is talking about. Um, so let's just like deep dive into kind of pre me contacting you, then us, you know, going back and forth and the awareness that you had me do on my physical body to see where I felt the actual jab. And, yeah. and so for some, they may be very in tuned. And for me, I had, I told you initially like where it was for me and I can share that, but then I had to do some more searching cause it was difficult to, to pin it. Like we're so not in tune that it was difficult for me to actual pin certain places on myself. So it sure. might take some work and awareness, but every single time I, um, it's happened, I'm more and more aware to see where it happens and then new places it could happen. I'm still on that journey because I always want to be open to something that I don't know. So one of the reasons when I initially, um, you know, connected with you, I was telling you, um, and then you explained to me, um, it's things with the motor. So mm -hmm. uh, the vacuum, uh, when I hear a vacuum, when I hear a lawnmower, a weed whacker, a saw, anything with the motor. Uh, this morning, it was uh, a blow dryer. And I was like, <laughs> I didn't, I didn't, didn't think her to tell you about that one. But this morning, um, I woke up to a blow dryer. <laughs> and then I just went to my breathing. It was slight. And it was done, um, the blow dryer. But if it would have continued, I would have had to do what you taught me, which is called scuba breathing. So maybe let's talk about some of those things right now. Okay, so let let me um, let me get right back to that. But see, Katie's what happens is you hear a trigger, and then somewhere in your body, muscles tighten. Typically, some people will feel pain, but that's a small percentage. And then you have the extreme emotions. Now, for Katie, Katie's initial reflex is uh, that she stops breathing. Mm. So when Katie hears the blow dryer. She may, or the lawnmower, she may think, oh, I just stopped breathing because I can't stand it. But actually, you're stopping breathing because your lizard brain is locking up those muscles in your chest. And it's a reflex in stopping you from breathing. So for you, breathe, continuing to breathe in and out, 
does two things. One is you feel it less severely. And second, secondly, when you are continuing to breathe over what your lizard brain is trying to do to you, you're telling your lizard brain, don't make me hold my breath. So you're actually counter conditioning or causing that physical reflex to go down. Now in another person, the, these reflexes can be anywhere in your body. Another person may clench their jaw or clench their fist. And as I showed you my granddaughter, her toes flare when she, when she hears a sniff. So you want to see if you can find your initial physical reflex and there's an app for that. The app is called the Misophonia Reflex Finder app. And what it allows you to do is take something like snoring, which is a big, long, ugly sound, and bring it, or a big, long sniff, and bring it down into something that is just a little bitty sound that's not enough to trigger you. And then you barely start increasing the severity of that trigger by making it a few percent louder or uh, a tenth of a second longer. And at some point, it starts to actually trigger that physical reflex from your lizard brain. And you kind of go, oh, I felt something in my forearms or my shoulders or in your case, in your chest. My teeth, I get and, I, and your teeth. Nerves in my teeth and my finger and the, the tips of my fingernails. Yes. And so that may that may be uh that's not a muscle. If it was just in your teeth, yeah. I can't teach you to change that. Hmm. Right. So I can't teach you how to relax the nerves in your teeth if that's where if that was your only reflex. But because you're getting the breath related reflex, then for you, the slow, steady breathing, which I call scuba breathing because in scuba, you have to always breathe. You never hold your breath. If you held your breath and you went up, your lungs could explode. So you never hold your breath in, in scuba. And so I call it scuba breathing. You breathe in very slowly, 10 or 15 seconds, out very slowly, 10 or 15 seconds, and just do that continually. Now, that's actually very good calming. It can be, that can be good for calming people even if it's not your reflex. But most, I'd say probably 90% of the people don't have a hold your breath reflex. Mm -hmm. And so for them, it's more overall muscle relaxation and keep breathing. Did I answer your question? Yes, yes, totally. And then okay. um, in the, speci um, the specificity of the scuba breathing, you could do like five long in, five long out, and then you have me go to 10, then you have me go to 15. And actually, uh, Tom said uh, he was really impressed. He said most people can't get to 15, but because of my cross-country background with my lungs and yoga and meditation, uh, I was able to do to the 15 in slowly and out. So the people who are doing yoga and maybe, you know, are sports athletes and you can get to the 15, cool. Uh, but that was the cap you put me at. But the people who maybe have the anxiety or the maybe the lungs aren't as you know well endowed maybe um do uh the five to start and then work your way up to more and then so it's just five do you want to just kind of do a practice scuba breathing together or something sure let's just okay. just see if you can breathe in here okay yeah. ready yeah to fit to 15 let's just go all the way to 15 breathe everybody try this okay take a deep breath breathe all the way out let all the air go out of your lungs and we're going to start breathing in ready breathe in two three four five six seven 
8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15. Out, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15. And Katie did it. Katie did it great. She, Katie, yeah. Katie did it did it really well. And and if you can breathe slowly, then then do that. That's that's beneficial to keep you from your anxiety from ramping up. And if you breathe out just a little bit longer than you breathe in, then it kind of it can trigger a rest and digest reflex out of your lizard brain. So maybe you breathe in on 12, out on 15 or something like that. Yeah, I felt like when I got to 14 and 15, I don't know if because of the way I prepared, it was, I don't know, a knot of an exhale. But when I did get to 14, 15, I was kind of like, you know, struggling <laughs> to keep going. Um, but I felt like when I was exhaling, I definitely, I could have kept exhaling for more. So that's good to know yeah. that it's good that we, when you can uh, breathe out more, that's the good thing for the rest and repair, you said? Yes. Yeah. Rest and digest. Reflex. Oh, okay. Rest and digest. Okay. And just to confirm, it's in the nose, out the nose. Doesn't matter. It doesn't really matter. This this is this is really just a way of breathing slowly and steadily. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you can only do it for ten seconds, do it for ten seconds in and out. But if you breathe in and out at five seconds, you're going to hyperventilate. So you can't continually keep breathing in and out at at five seconds in and out, because you'll probably, you'll get, you'll get too much oxygen, you'll get lightheaded. So you just want to breathe in and out constantly to, to help you recover from these triggers. Okay. And, for, and, the- and if you're like Katie, and you have a, a breath-related reflex, then it makes a drastic improvement in your misophonia. Okay. And we'll, we'll circle back around on some of these uh, personal triggers and, you know, go more deep into it. But something that came up was, I think, um, during our conversation, there are doctors who don't even know about misophonia yet. There are people who don't know. So some people get misdiagnosed as something else and not knowing the difference if it's obsessive compulsive with something or misophonia. So, but let's talk specifically about the difference, please, and how people know. Okay. Well, first, let me say the reason doctor, it's not the doctor's fault, not the psychiatrist and the therapist and the psychologist's fault. Misophonia is not in any college textbooks and it's not in any official doctor notice, psychologist notice publications that says, hey, you need to be aware of this. So most doctors and psychologists don't know. It's coming up much quicker among the psychologists. Doctors have never heard of misophonia. It doesn't exist to them. The difference that with misophonia is is kind of like the easiest uh, condition, I think, to diagnose. And I am not an official diagnoser of conditions, so let me make that as a behaviorist. That is not my my certification. But with misophonia, uh, you're going to have a sound or a sight. Occasionally, it'll be a smell or a vibration, and you just are really annoyed and agitated, or you feel anger or rage. And it can be a very mild noise. It can be a sniff or somebody breathing, or it could be like a baby crying, but not, but, but if you, if you can't stand the sound of a baby crying, which that's supposed to be an annoying, genetically, that should be a very distressing sound to get you to come and take care of the baby. But if, if a baby crying really just greatly upsets you and even angers you, uh, when it's loud, 
And that may just be the, the baby crying on the next to you on the airplane. But if that same sound in a distance when it's soft and it's not your baby causes you to have that same kind of emotional reaction, then it's misophonia. Mm-hmm. So virtually misophonia is when there's some stimulus that just really you causes distress, anger, disgust, strong reaction. Uh, most people with misophonia, about 95% of people with misophonia, have triggers related to eating uh, and mouth sounds. Now, Katie, you don't have that as a trigger, right? No, not me particularly. I know my mother does. And since my mother pointed it out with someone that I know, I was then aware of it. And so then I called the person out about it. <laughs> yeah. um, but otherwise, no, that wouldn't be like on my first thing that would attack Trigger or you. annoy me. Um, yeah. Now, a couple of things. One, going into like I, in over a year, I haven't been to a, a loud public restaurant, but I tend to choose to go to places that are more intimate, romantic with like, um, not like hospital lighting. So for sightseeing for my eyes to protect my eyes, but also like, so I'm not, you know, my nerves, my central nervous system. So it's not shaking. So I'm not feeling anxiety. Um, also going into a place where it could be loud. I like to be put in the very back where there's a booth. I like to, I don't, if I'm going to a restaurant, I don't want to be, um, sit in the center of the restaurant. I want to be in the back or onto the side, um, away. And I do not like being by, um, the kitchen. You know, I don't want to be sitting where there's going to be people and going and like all that disturbances going on. So what part of that is misophonia and what part of that could be other things? So that sounds more like sensory over-responsiveness, that Mm -hmm. when loud, bright lights, loud sounds, often uh, closed tags or tight shoes or things would be distressing to you. That's sensory, that's a sensory over-responsiveness, typically called sensory processing disorder. And that's genetic. That's That's a condition where just because of the genes that you have, Sounds are a little louder, lights are a little brighter, you're more noticing the things. Like I since we've been talking, I haven't noticed anything in my body until I just mentioned that and I felt the, the, the shirt on the back of my shoulders. But generally, I don't notice any of that stuff. Sensory processing disorder. So it's wild. I'm so happy you said tags. Tags like tags on pillowcases, tags on clothes. That is sensory processing disorder. That's what that is. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Okay, so- I even did a short film called hashtag selfie. And in the scene, I'm like, oh my God, this girl's wearing a bikini. And we did it on purpose. And I was punning on because I'm so, I was on the Skype with someone the other day and they were sitting back talking to me. And I was, I saw it and it was only like three minutes or less, but it seemed like two hours. And I actually was getting so irritated. I was, I was noticing I was stopping breathing. I had to say to this person, do you mind ripping? It was a big tag, like this big. I go, do you mind ripping that tag off or like or like moving the the blanket so like the tag's not sticking out at the side of your head? I had to communicate that because before I would be silently suffering and I had to just communicate that. It was so annoying. And the person like laughed and like took the, took the <laughs> didn't rip it off. I preferred ripping it off, but didn't, <laughs> didn't, didn't rip it off. Just kind of went like this with a blanket and put it, um, you know, behind. And so I couldn't see it. And the person laughed and 
but it was funny that we were able to like laugh about it and and I was able to communicate because before I wasn't able to communicate. So now I'm trying to find some like, you know, laughingness within it to communicate like the things that make us us uniquely odd. But and I but then I explained like I was getting so irritated that I wasn't able to concentrate to what the person was saying to me. And I was getting so frustrated and, and tight that I started to not be able to breathe and I communicated and that person's like, oh, wow, like, whoa, <laughs> over like so, a tag. So, so that may be misophonia, Katie, because you weren't feeling the tag. Now, if it was your clothes and your tag and it was touching you, which has happened many times, you would be, you would rip that tag off of your shirt or rip it off of the pillow or whatever, because touching it was irritating. That's sensory processing disorder. Now, you see that tag and, and you remember that the problem of touching it and you kind of clench your fist or you hold your breath, see that tag, you hold your breath, the lizard brain then picks up that reflex and then that's misophonia. So seeing that tag was probably misophonia because it wasn't hitting you directly. It wasn't hitting any of your senses senses strongly. It was just, let's go a little deeper then. So with the thoughts of rage and being upset and stuff. So for me with the tag specifically, I have some association from when I was younger. I don't know how, but I have some association where I think that what happens is I think that I'm judging. I'm like, that is disgusting. That is cheap. That's what I think. I'm like, ew, rip that tag off. Anyone who has a tag showing same thing when like you give someone a gift and like the price tags on it, like you didn't think to like take the price off like it's I don't care if it was three thousand dollars like I don't care if it was three dollars like take the price tag off it's like it's kind of like normal that's good good polite behavior right yeah you you would think you would think but like I feel like it's the same thing with tags it's the same thing or the same thing with price tags it's the same thing with a tag from a pillow or a tag from the blanket so I did the short film hashtag selfie and she's wearing a bikini and to pun on the stuff I didn't know that we're talking about now because I did this like in 20 17 or something. I'm like, that girl's wearing uh, her tag sticking out. That's a fashion no, no. Like you're (laughs) supposed to know to like, you know, not have tags. So, so are we clear on if that is, um, misophonia or let's make so so misophonia is a learned reflex reaction when i say learned there is a there is a stimulus a negative thought typically and a muscle tightness and let's say in your case you hold your breath stimulus thought hold your breath stimulus thought hold your breath your lizard brain sees that pattern goes oh katie i can do that for you let me help you and now you see that stimulus and your lizard brain goes in your chest and you hold your breath and like ah and then you get the then you start to get the emotional reflex so if it's a learned reflex it is misophonia if it is a genetic reflex it's sensory processing disorder okay and i'm so, oh, go ahead so you can have both you can have both you can start with a, a closed tag just annoys me and i'm going to rip it off and then you can develop that as a misophonia trigger and it sounds to me like seeing that closed tag and being upset by it is a misophonia trigger yeah and full disclosure 1000% if there's anything where i can rip a tag off i always do and i uh, my niece she just got a bunch of stuff and I just went in there and just ripped off I'm like yo do you want these tags on here or no you know what I mean <laughs> like people are like oh you could just leave the tags but no I'm like if it's that if it's I mean if it's Balenciaga or like Lon Vaughn or something Prada of course I'm gonna leave the beautiful tag but it's usually silk and gorgeous and put in the right no. place right not to stick out okay so I'm gonna flip the script real quick and give okay. a short story um that I shared with you 
on what happened to me before I knew misophonia, just because I've been on the journey of observing behavior. And I started that in 2014, where I was going to be acutely aware to jealousy and anger, right? And allow and have a trusted space for allow to to have that come out, which was a journey. Anyways, um, so the thing is, I remember when I got my first house in Valley Village and two-car parking garage, like no one behind me because I do voiceovers. The the side of me is my driveway and the front of me is my other rooms, uh, living room. So like I am good. And and the other side, I have a, a beautiful like backyard patio area, gorgeous. So there is like when I'm looking for my house, there is, it's a bungalow, like 1950s, like a cute bungalow, but like my yeah. first, my first home, right? And all this concrete behind me, all this dead space, dense space behind me. It's a two car parking garage. And so I have all this space behind me. So I'm thinking, oh, because of my sound reflexes and having mm-hmm. things peaceful and quiet and, you know, for my sanity and privacy and to enjoy my lifestyle of being in my home and for, you know, and for my profession, um, needing to be mindful of that. I got this place and I was in my place the very first week in my place, the very first week, all of a sudden behind the, uh, the dense area of the concrete is a huge fence. And then there's a whole yard. But within that whole entire space, there's a dog. And so what happened was this dog started barking. And initially I thought, I started like cringing and being like, oh, I can't believe this is going to happen. And then I stopped myself and I'm like, if I can actually, from the root of it, decide this is God's grace. This is nature. This is beautiful. I am protected. If anyone comes around, there's a dog actually to protect me. I created a neurological connection with a good experience instead of a negative one. And I mean, I had that beautiful house for four years and I didn't hear the dog, but when I did hear the dog, I thought it was beautiful. So is that what you were talking about when you have that first rooted thought about And had you kept it, had you kept that, oh, this is horrible, oh, this is horrible, oh, this is horrible. So there's a sound, the dog barking. You have that, oh, this is horrible. And when you think, oh, this is horrible, somewhere in your body, you're going to tense up. You may hold your breath, you may clench your fists, you may pull your shoulders up, but somewhere in your body, there is a physical reaction with a negative emotion. And as soon as your lizard brain goes, bark, shoulders go up, bark, shoulders go up, it says, oh, Katie, I can do that for you. And then every time you hear that bark, the shoulders go up. So you did, you basically dodged the bullet of a a misophonia trigger there. Now, I tell people that I will never develop it. Some people develop triggers to to snoring. And I will never develop a trigger to my wife's snoring because I know she has trouble going to sleep. So when I hear her snoring, I say, oh, good. She's asleep. And then if I need to, I put my earplugs in. But, but, but if, if I let that bother me, my lizard brain would see the pattern and it would start zapping me. So for the listener and the viewer tuning in right now, I hope you just understood this on a psychological level, that when you're presented with something new, the choice to have it be a positive or a detrimental experience, maybe make the choice for it to be a pleasant one. Because like Tom just said, I would have totally been unhappy and miserable for, you know, however long I lived there, always finding a reason to be irritated and upset when I'm supposed to be in my peaceful home. And the other thing I want to say, which my comical mind went to, anyone meeting their mother-in-law, if anything comes up, (laughs) make sure you connect in a positive way from the beginning (laughs) for the (laughs) in-laws. 
Absolutely. Because that is lifelong, right? Yeah, absolutely. We hope it's a whole lifelong. Absolutely, right? Well, if we make the so, wrong choice or the, the the latter choice or the unpleasant choice, it won't be lifelong. Maybe that's, that's why right. the divorce. Maybe that's why the divorce rate is so high. So high. <laughs> well. <laughs> You know, you're talking about the divorce rate high. I'm thinking misophonia is common. Most people think it, a lot of people think it's a rare condition, but it's really a rarely known condition. Misophonia affects probably 10 to 12% of people in, of adults in the United States at a significant level. How many? 10 to 12%. One out of every 10, one out of every eight people, adults in the United States have significant misophonia. There's been two studies using college undergraduate students. One was a dorm survey in the women's dorm, and the other was um, just take take a survey, get a free point for psychology. One of them found 19.9% misophonia. The other one, I think, found 20.6% of the people had misophonia. And there was a, a study out of a psychological center in Spain where they screened everybody coming in and 35% of the people going to this psychological center for all kinds of things had misophonia. Mm. One out of every three had misophonia. And only 2% knew had come because of a sound problem. The others just thought they were cranky or, or easily annoyed. Well, what you're saying is so important. I feel like everyone listening will definitely identify because the thing is, I mean, I'm an empath. I'm very em- empathetic. And I know this isn't an HSP episode, highly sensitive persons, but it kind of taps into the sense, you know, being sensitive. So I know that 15, it's on Google, 15 to 20% of the population have HSP where they're highly sensitive persons. And I've known that since like 2012, 2014. And before I understood, um, and I'm still understanding, it's very new to me, just six months ago, the misophonia is like me being who I am and the studies that I do and holding space for me, like I hold space for others and me being difficult and tough on myself and me thinking something's wrong with me and I'm taking it internally thinking something's wrong, but it's people don't know. And if people don't know, and I don't know, and I don't know it, but other people don't know, but then I'm like thinking what you said, I'm cranky. This must be wrong with me being able to have you know, like Dalai Lama and people are like, oh, have more compassion for yourself, like have more compassion for others, but have more space and compassion and kindness for self. But we don't understand what we don't know that we don't know that we don't know. And we don't understand. We just have, you know, haven't heard of misophonia and we don't know these are natural, you know, triggers, how they're developed, how what's going on here. So it's like now that I know the language of it, I'm able to be like, put like a, a, a flag on it or put like oh, an award on it. Like, oh, well, this is what it is. It's who I am. I'm going to own it. I'm going to hold space for myself. And I want to talk to you about, because I asked you from being insecure and not knowing, I was leaving Republic of Pie in Malibu. If anyone wants amazing pie, go to Republic of Pie in Magnolia. It's amazing in Valley Village. The owner is so cool. I had an art show in there, everything. But we were leaving. It was like my meetup place. And we were leaving um, with Shaman Harry Polly. He's amazing. And all of a sudden, it's a very like cool area. So yeah, there's a stoplight like right meters away. And there's a stoplight and it's there's a lot of cars and the a lot of cool, like gorgeous people walking around. Everyone's like looking around. People are sitting outside and we're leaving and there's an ambulance and it was so loud. And it's like, oh my God. And I literally like needed to like, I like wanted to freak out. I, I'm like, attack, I'm under attack. I want to hide. I want to run. I want to run to my car. I have my, I got my keys out. I'm like already at the car. People are like, yo, slow down. What are you doing? But I'm like going like this and people who don't know me, they're just looking at me like, 
yo, like, I mean, they're kind and compassionate. It's a shaman. So who, who, who better to have this situation happen with when you're a shaman, but even me, I'm trying to be like, calm down, but I'm so sensitive that I'm like covering my eyes. I don't want to see, you know, there's an ambulance, there's an accident. People are yelling at each other. I'm wanting to go like this because where attention goes, energy flows. And I want to get myself out of the situation because I'm over sensory here, but I, I didn't have earplugs on me at that time. I wasn't carrying earplugs. I do now. I have a big box of earplugs, neon pink. They're amazing. And I do. I secretly carry in all my bags and coats earplugs. And when I go, I'm getting off track for a second. But when I go to music concerts, events, or even a restaurant, I'll always have my left ear for some reason is more sensitive i think one ear you hear more with but i'll always just in one ear i always choose i'll put the the earplug in one ear and i won't on the right and that really protects and put a buffer like you mentioned earlier but what can someone do when they're in a situation and they're feeling like their head's gonna explode and it goes from zero to hero really quick scuba breathe but how what scuba can breathe. We, relax we, your muscles relax your muscles plug you did the right thing by plugging your ears close your eyes if you need to walk away go to the bathroom if you're, if you're in a situation where it's a problem because if it's misophonia the more you sit there and endure the trigger the stronger your physical reflex becomes the stronger your emotional reflex becomes the worse your misophonia gets if you get tough with your misophonia try to face it head on i'm going to sit here until it goes away after a trigger after trigger after trigger it typically will just get more and more and more severe. So there's not a, I mean, in that situation, Katie, plug your ears, there's not a lot you can do. So I think my prefrontal cortex, my rational cortex just shut down because I went to fight and flight mode. But I guess what I could have done that I didn't think about because I was just thinking, get to my car. I actually could have opened the door and be like, oh, I got to go to the bathroom. And I could have ran back in and like went to the bathroom maybe for yeah. five or 10 minutes for it to subside, for it to go past. But yeah. I guess more intently though, how... If, if I'm going somewhere, like you're going with your wife or your partner somewhere to something and they know you and they know about misophonia or how social anxiety or you're a sensitive person. But what if you're in a group of things with people and something happens? How do you communicate and let them know without letting them know? Or like, how do you communicate so they don't, they're like, what's going on? Like, what what's the language you can share with them to not explain yourself, to calm down? Okay. Well, well to, if you need help, if somebody's chewing gum beside you and that's a trigger and you need them to stop, you can say something like, I have uh, this reflex condition called misophonia where certain soft sounds hurt me. Could you help me by uh, stopping chewing gum? Most people like to help. Um, if you are trying to explain misophonia to somebody, you can say, I have this reflex condition called misophonia. It's not a choice. It's a reflex where certain soft, little funny, soft sounds, chewing, sniffing, or whatever, trigger a very distressing reaction. Now, that's a, that's a gross understatement of the misophonia experience, but people can believe that there's a reflex that triggers and makes you feel bad. And so you don't need to tell them that you're full of rage and anger and disgust and you want to choke them until their, mouth, their food comes flying out of their mouth. You know, you don't have to tell them the truth, but just just kind of say it's a reflex condition called misophonia and it's pretty common. And so there's certain sounds I really can't tolerate. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But in the moment, Katie, in the moment, there's not a good solution. Mm -hmm. Plug your ears, take a break, close your eyes, scuba breathe, relax your muscles. Now, if you, if you had done the muscle training at that time, 
and would have just relaxed your muscles and scuba breathe, then that would have probably brought you way down. It would change the whole experience. If I knew that in the language and understanding, and I feel because um, day to day, I'm uh, aware that I'm able to do the scuba breathing and also have more compassion because I understand what it is. Like there's all, there's an anxiety about not knowing, but now that you know, th- there's just a soothing just to knowing that as well. The other thing is like, not a lot, but I remember like sometimes people would be like, Oh, like you're being paranoid. You're being, you're being paranoid. So the best thing was, it wasn't being paranoid. I was protecting myself to get out of the situation. So 1000%, it's good to not explain yourself to just get out of the situation. Not because you're paranoid, but like you just need to not feel that way. So it's your your body's going crazy. Your autonomic nervous system, your, your distress level, your cortisol and the stress hormones, everything's firing and you're, you're out of control. You're physiologically out of control. You need to to take a break. Yes. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. That was really, really uh, important for solutions. Since you're a solution person, I feel um, for the people tuning in um, to have that reassurance. Thank you. I appreciate that. Thank you so much. Also, uh, I actually want to circle back around because I was wanting to know okay. the difference about where we've been talking about misophonia a lot. We're going to continue to talk about it, okay. but the difference of knowing an OC obsessive compulsive. So we can use me as the muse if so, but how do I know if it's misophonia or it's if it's an obsessive compulsive thing that I might be doing? Okay. So if in the presence of a stimulus, a sound, let's just take a sound sniffing, you're having this extreme reaction that's misophonia. If you're getting ready to go into a room and you don't want to go into the room because you see the person in there has a cold and they're going to be sniffing, then that is just avoidance of a known hazard. It's like, I don't want to walk into the room of rattlesnakes. Okay. I'm I'm anxious about that. And that is typical anxiety, anticipatory anxiety of something very unpleasant. If, however, there's a thought that's making giving you the jitters, like maybe I didn't say the right thing or and I need to go say something, or maybe I didn't lock the door, or maybe I've got germs on me. And the thought is making you uh, feel anxiety, and then you do something and the anxiety goes down. That's more obsessive compulsive. Mm-hmm. So um, there, there are similarities, but it's it, it's very different because obsessive compulsive behavior, you'd have to give me a, an example, maybe if there's something that you hear or see that causes an obsessive compulsive behavior, but generally it's a thought that's triggering your anxiety, saying you need to go wash your hands or do something. And then once you do that, the anxiety goes away. That's obsessive compulsive behavior. What, what if someone doesn't leave the toilet seat down or they're leaving uh, drawers open? That's just an an annoying person to live mm-hmm. with. Uh-huh. Okay, okay. <laughs> okay, okay. Cool, yeah. It's good to explore these things. I think I asked you, but just in case maybe someone tuning in wants to know, and, you know, mental health has been on the forefront, thank goodness gracious. You know, you can't really, there's not a test for bipolar. There's not a test for ADHD. So uh, is misophonia uh, associated at all, do you think, with bipolar um, or ADHD? Or do we not know yet? It it doesn't seem to be distinctly associated with any condition. Hmm. That there's people who have anxiety who develop misophonia. There's people who have sensory processing disorder, sensory sensitivity 
sensitivity like you do who are more likely to develop misophonia. And then there are people who have no kind of other condition and they still develop misophonia. So if you have your psychological stability compromised in any way, sensory processing disorder, obsessive compulsive, bipolar, whatever, you're more likely to be in a situation where you're annoyed by some common sound and then develop misophonia. But it's not really, it's not a sign of any condition because people with different psychological conditions may be more likely to develop misophonia, but it's not associated with it. Okay, thank you. Thank you for that. And then we talked about one being the motors, right? Everything we talked about, motor. And the other one, they're both M's, motor, metal, motor, metal. And we got into discussions of like scissors and knives and fork scraping of the teeth. And for me with the motor, I feel like I'm able to be like, oh, I'm not breathing and then breathe. But I feel with the metal objects, I feel like so tight and cringe. I feel like my instrument can't open and I can't breathe. I feel like I can't open and I can't breathe. So any thoughts on that? Well, it sounds like on a scale of, zero to 10, when you hear a motor, you're having a reaction of an eight that's stopping you from breathing and, and, and you can over breathe through it. And when you hear that scissors or that metal on teeth, you're having a reaction of a 12 and it's just totally overwhelming you. It sounds similar because they're both hitting you in the chest area mm -hmm. and stopping you breathing. So you're just getting a much stronger reaction to those metal, metal on metal sounds. The jaw clenches too. Now the jaw clench could be a secondary reaction. It may be, I hear the metal, lizard brain zaps you in the chest, stops you from breathing. You have this, and that takes about 200 milliseconds for that to happen. Then you instantly get this rage response. And what goes with anger? Clenched jaw goes mm -hmm. with anger. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So it could be that the experience is really the kind of downstream after the trigger, all of the distressed responses you're having. Mm -hmm. And I, the only way to really kind of get into that uh, to try to find out is to use something like, the Misophonia Reflex Finder app, where we're making very, very, very small uh, sounds, and you notice where in your body you first feel it. Mm -hmm. So if we made a tiny one and you felt it in your jaw and your chest, we'd say, okay, both of those are your initial reflex. Okay. But I do want to point out, Katie, that to, to the listeners, most people will believe that they don't have an initial physical reflex. They just feel rage. The emotions dwarf the reflex completely. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But there's the in-between. There's the in-between. There is an in-between. That you talked about in the beginning, and um, we've been talking about it the whole time. Again, just to communicate, it's the initial re-physical reflex. So um, before I dive deep into a few more questions, um, just to kind of take a deep breath and reset, is there uh, anything you would like to share that we haven't brought up yet or a direction you want to go in? I would like to say there really is treatment for misophonia. If you go out on the internet, you look about misophonia, you watch the the documentary, Quiet Please, it's like, this is hopeless. There is no treatment. 
there's nothing we can do. We don't understand this. And the answer from Misophonia Institute is we do understand it. There is treatment that is generally very beneficial for people. And we provide it by video chat. So I just want to say there really is treatment for misophonia. This is not a lifelong debilitating, does not have to be a lifelong debilitating condition. This is great. And you don't even have to take a prescription pill to ruin your organs, right? You don't. You don't. You, don't. you, you just, just have to. Take, there's no side effects. You just, yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, you know, you, it, and okay. So people can actually have private sessions with you, misophoniainstitute.org, um, and then um, uh, private sessions with you. There's the app. Um, people can download. This is great. This is so good. And um, I need to watch the documentary because I have not seen that. And you might have just inspired me to watch it. And then I can write an article on Thrive Global on Ariana Huffington's platform because I write for her and I can talk about that and then say how I met you and, and let people know that actually what you just said. So I, I love this and I'm going to, I've already put it into my heart and into the ethers. We've created it and I'm going to um, hold myself accountable to watch this documentary and, and then to take action on, on what you just said. Thank you for that. Sure. And let me throw out one thing, uh, Katie. Misophoniainstitute.org is a information, it's our nonprofit information. If you're looking for treatment, go to misophoniatreatment.com. That's, that's my site. And I have a number of people listed there who in the treatment provider directory. Cool, cool. And um, so I'll, I'll have, and should they do that? Or should I um, put your uh, link so they can maybe just set up an appointment directly as well? What's the best for you? So you can, anybody can email me or call me. That's not, not a problem. If you, re, if you go Google Tom Dozier, you'll find the baseball picture. picture. <laughs> but if you Google Tom Dozier misophonia, you'll find me. Okay, well, I'll just put the email in the show notes if sure. that's okay. Absolutely. Love, oh. to, love to have people contact me. Take out the the another step for the people, right? Just click sure. and email. Make it easy. And, oh, I do have to mention, um, because of you and the Institute, actually, these headphones I'm wearing right now are so bossing and amazing. And actually, so they're noise-canceling headphones. And I got them... I went through your whole entire website um, of all the ones. And so I have these and they are just the Bentley and like Ferrari of headphones. And they're so smooth and bossing. I love them so much and they're such great quality. So I just want to say thank you so much because these headphones have just really enhanced my overall well-being. So thank you for that. Wonderful. Yeah. Try to make, we try to help people. Yeah. So if you need to know, cause like going online and like, it can be so overwhelming and there's definitely so many different price points from like zero to hero. So you can find what is good and affordable for you and knowing like, you know, the investments in for your, your own self sanity and healthcare. <laughs> so self-care. So cool. So um, I have read that brain imaging studies um, on misophonia, um, what is happening in our brains when we are triggered that causes the misophonia reaction? Any, any more thoughts on that? Yeah, I, so, so I briefly kind of was on that a little bit earlier, but here's the, here's the picture for those who are, who are watching the video. So you have your, your autonomic nervous system down at the bottom. That's your brain stem. It's at the top of your spine. Your spine swells up a little bit. And that's your autonomic nervous system goes into the base of your brain. That system does your reflexes. It keeps you breathing and, and blinking and sweating. And it also has the ability to learn new reflexes. 
So misophonia starts when that little lizard brain of yours learns to zap a particular muscle when it hears a certain sound. I hear a sniff, my fists clench. Okay, that's the start. Then that signal comes up into the anterior insula, which is in deep, deep, deep in your cerebrum, your thinking brain. It gets the internal signal and the external sound, relays it out to a little learning spot behind your eyebrows, the ventromedial prefrontal cortex, and it relays back the message, oh, I recognize this. This is rage, disgust, and then this little the anterior insula then fires down into the amygdala and hippocampus in your in your limbic system in your emotional brain and then you have the boom ex- extreme emotions and the physical reflex starts about two tenths of a second after the trigger starts so you start hearing a sniff 200 milliseconds later the muscle fires probably another 50 to 100 milliseconds later it's, it's relayed out to the spots and back and your emotions are just going crazy Mm-hmm. So it's, and it's such an extreme emotional reaction that you never even realize that there was a physical part to it. Mm-hmm. And then, and then you feel distressed, right? Katie, you have this overall horrible muscles tight, hearts racing, going crazy. And that's, that's a distress response that just clouds everything else. Mm-hmm. But that is that at least we see that it's, it's an emotional reflex. So If you have misophonia, be kind to yourself about how guilty you feel about hating somebody you really love because you don't really hate them. These are fake emotions, but they are what we call pain-induced anger. Yeah, and as much as you think you loathe that person, you feel, like you said, so guilty and bad about it. There's just such this deep guilt there that you would even feel that way about someone. It's just, it's so tiring and it's so saddening and it's painful to think that personally I go to that place and I don't want to go to that place you know so so Katie if you dress up nice to go out to some fancy thing and it's hot on you're walking outside and you start sweating should you feel guilty for sweating no no because it's a reflex right yeah the emotions are a reflex yeah they're not real listen to like the viewer and the listener right now seriously on your tinder account or whatever dating app you might be on you need to like let people know like misophonia so they can google it before you actually meet up you know because y'all are going to be like into the relationship like that needs to be like within the first like couple conversations (laughs) (laughs) right i think because then then i think it will have better partnerships with people to and and it's great to have somebody who will help you i I was helping a lady once who was in her oh she was about 30 and she was getting into a serious relationship. And so she was coming to me for help and we were doing some management things. And one of the things she found is that wearing the Bose earbuds at a restaurant made a huge difference. And her boyfriend was very respectful of it. And they would be in the restaurant and he would say, put on your headphones. He said, and she would say, but the food's not here yet. He goes, I know, put on your headphones because once you're triggered, you're, it's all over your face. It's like, ah, and so he was like, come on, it's okay. It's not a problem. Manage this well with your, you know, a little bit of noise going into your ears will make so much of a difference and you will keep smiling and we will have a great dinner together. And so having somebody who's supportive yeah. is so critical in a relationship. 
Yeah. So it's preventative, right? Love that. Preventative measures. Love that. Love that. Okay. So some of this might be a recap, but I I feel like it's a lot to comprehend and understand. Sometimes as humans, we need to hear things multiple times. Why does a sound made by a person trigger one horribly, but the same sound made by an animal or a young child does not? So your lizard brain is stupid and smart. It's stupid in the fact that it has no initiative and no creativity, but it can it can watch and learn. It's a very good watcher. And any kind of a learned lizard brain reflex, which we have tons of them, um, can, includes both the stimulus, the sound in this case, let's say, and the context. So the I was working with a woman doing some relaxation, uh, training online, and she said, just a second, I think there's kids playing behind my house. And I said, well, is that triggering you? She goes, oh, yeah. She goes away. She comes back a minute later and says, oh, they're doing some repair work. It's not a problem. So when she thought it was children playing, it was a trigger. When she found out it was adults working, it was not. Now, we've all seen the, the MGM lion roar at the start of a movie. No big deal, right? Imagine you're in a tent up in the mountains at two o'clock in the morning and you hear, you would freak out. You would have a totally different reaction, even though the stimulus was the same, the context was different. And so context is a critical part of of misophonia triggers. Got it. Got it. Okay. Okay. Thank you for sharing. And then I just, what came to my funny brain while you were sharing was I wanted to tell you. What I've been doing is um, when something triggers, I'll take my finger and rub it right here. And I'll be like, it's okay, lizard. It's okay, lizard. <laughs> like, that's what I'll, I'll like, I'll be like, have a little, that's what I'll do. I'll go like that. Just to, like tame my little lizard over here, <laughs> you know? So it's like something, it, it feels good actually, you know? Cause I know yeah. I can be connected to my physical body. Cause that's what it yeah. is, the physical. Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah. That's yeah. right. And, and, and that's really part of overcoming your misophonia is to try to bring down your reaction and not give way to the anger and the fury and the, the turmoil. Yeah, because it can go from zero to hero because of what we've talked about. So it can go from zero to hero. When I thought, you know, oh, I would be like, oh, that must be um, what people call extreme or bipolar, you know, or people just try to put labels on things. But it's like, no, I mean, it's just, it's literally, it's like, I'm cool. And then boom, it's like, you know, something else. So I love having that compassion for oneself and, um, you know, g- giving it a, a different, different name and label to it. Absolutely. So, so how and why do we develop triggers? Is there a way to prevent this? So the, the basic Pavlovian conditioning, that's what we're dealing with here, is that anytime your lizard brain notices a stimulus, and notices a physical reaction. Stimulus, muscle tightens. Stimulus, let's say I, I raise my shoulders. Stimulus, raise my shoulders. That the lizard brain sees a pattern and it's because it's watching for two seconds after a stimulus and it sees that pattern of the shoulders going up and it says, oh, I can do that for you. I can automate that process so you don't have to do that on your own. And then it's stimulus, shoulders go up, and then you, you're irritated and you kind of go, Whoa, and you pull them up a little more and the lizard brain goes, oh my goodness, I did exactly what Tom wanted me to do. That's just wonderful. The way, and that's the way triggers develop. There's a stimulus, there's a negative thought and an action. Stimulus, negative thought, action. So chill out. When you hear something that's annoying or irritating, 
put a positive spin on it, relax, move away if you need to, because you can develop triggers in maybe a trigger in maybe 20 minutes. One man shared a room with his brother. He had, his brother had allergies. He had anxiety. He tried to go to sleep. He was hearing his brother breathe. After 20 or 30 minutes, he went to the couch. But after that one night, every time he heard his brother breathe for the next 30 years, it triggered him. So these, these, this lizard brain sees a pattern and you don't, want to, you don't want to let it see the pattern. You want to hit say, sound, relaxed body. That's mm -hmm. where you want to go to Thank stop you. triggers from developing. Okay. Thank you. And then is the lizard brain connected to the, uh, the base of the spine? It, it actually is the top of the, as, as the spinal cord comes up at the top of the spine, it starts to get larger and larger. And, and that's where the lizard brain starts down in, down actually starts in the spine and comes up just above the spine. Yeah. Cause I was told years ago, that's where all the information stored. Is that correct? I don't know what that means. Okay. Okay. And I guess, um, oh, if that connects, um, all the information stored in your spine. Well, the, it, no, it's, information is stored everywhere nowadays. We find the brain is all, we use all of our brain. We don't use 2% of our brain. We use all of our brain. It's always running, whether or not we're awake or asleep. And information is stored in all different kinds of places. So. Okay. I don't really right. know about any specifics. Well, I'm glad I asked about that to hack it out. Okay. So some say we are born with misophonia, which you definitely said it's a learned behavior. Uh, what makes misophonia start? What causes that first trigger to develop? So we definitely chatted about it, but would love to hear a recap on it. It's it, that first trigger starts when there's an annoying, irritating Maybe somebody something's violating the rules. Uh, they're they're not following etiquette rules. Uh, maybe I feel like I'm being treated unfairly when I'm hearing that. But there's a, a sound, a negative thought, and an action. One man was in his late 20s. He had a pair of mockingbirds build a nest outside of his bedroom window, and that sounds so cute to have baby birds outside your your bedroom window. Except the male mockingbird chirps 24 hours a day at certain mm. times of the year. Yeah. And so he's getting that chirp, chirp, chirp. I can't go to sleep. And he hears the mockingbird chirp and he gets goosebumps on his upper arms. Mm. And that was, that's just accidental learning. So uh, there's a sound, negative thought, and an action. Lizard brain sees it, starts zapping you. The emotional reflex builds and builds and builds. And it just spreads and spreads and spreads. Okay. Uh, this is a... a a false scenario. It's make believe I'm an actor here. It didn't happen to me, but I'm just wondering from a child, doesn't have to be a child, but let's just go for a child. Let's say a child's in her room working out, doing whatever she's doing, and a parent or a sibling, someone, they're always entering the room before knocking, um, before respectfully, like you said, if someone crosses a boundary or something like that. So let's say uh, a child is in their room, their, people are just barging in, and that person develops some kind of thing like I'm feeling disrespected or someone keeps coming in my room and like not knocking and they don't like that. What are some prime examples of what, of what they could develop? Would that be something like misophonia, something they could develop? Oh, I think that'd be, I think that'd be exactly misophonia, Katie, oh. that, that a person would be 
would be in their room and they would hear the doorknob turn and then they would have a parent barge in and they would feel, and when they felt emotionally like they were, their privacy was violated, there's going to be a physical reaction. So the lizard brain doesn't notice that you feel emotionally violated or, or it, it, it just sees the muscles, but the door knob turning and all of a sudden it, it sees a muscle tighten, doorknob muscle, and it goes, I can do that for you. And then doorknob turns and you get that jolt to your body and then you get the anger developing from it. I mean, and that's when you're a child and like parents are just unconscious to that. They just don't know, but it's that subtlety, right? It's the unspoken, it's that subtlety. So to be more mindful, people say, oh, you know, you don't know what someone else is going through. Like we really don't know what is happening on the inside of people of something happened maybe when, if an adult's listening to this, if it happened when they were a child, like, oh my God, I remember, oh, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, I remember like someone used to do this to me. Maybe that's where it stems from. And then when you know where it stems from and then you do the app and you do misophonia treatments and then that could be the the process to discovery and recovery? Well, actually... Katie, it's a little bit like a phobia. Knowing where the phobia started doesn't help you get rid of it. So knowing where your misophonia started doesn't get rid of the physical reflex. So you, the, the treatment that I provide gets, uh, helps you eliminate the physical reflexes, and it really doesn't matter whether, where it started. Now, there are cases where you hate the person and there's there's trauma and there's other things. And that's for the psychologist to work on. I can work on the misophonia piece. But but generally, you don't have to know where it started. You just have to decide you're going to do something about it and get the right help. Because there are caring people out there that don't understand misophonia and do not know how to treat it. Got it. Thank you. I appreciate you. Thank you so much. This is great. This is so beautiful. Okay, cool, cool. Okay, so once a person develops a a misophonia trigger, is it easier to develop more triggers? Actually, the research shows that it is. The brain research that that showed which part of the brains were activated and the anger and all, in that process, uh, they had people without misophonia where they would play the chewing sounds, for example, and they would get a strong response from their little... DMPFC behind their eyebrows that says, do not react, stay calm, move along, this is unimportant. Where the person with misophonia would get a rage reaction. Then they also did um, unpleasant sounds, you know, whatever that was used in the study. And what they found with the unpleasant sounds is that a person with meso- without misophonia had a small inhibition of emotion. And the person with misophonia had a moderate or a moderate boost to the emotion. So you're more with misophonia, you're more likely to let the annoyance factor kick in and hear that sound, notice it, be more irritated. In a study we we conducted uh, back in 2017, Kate Morrison and I, which is published in the American Journal of Psychology we had people hear weak triggers and identify where in their body they felt it. 
and about half of the people had a different part of the body for, let's say for chewing, their shoulders would raise up and for sniffing, their toes would curl. So it was, that means they had developed misophonia independently twice. Mm. So yes, it's, it's easier once you develop misophonia and you're annoyed by these sounds, it's easier to let yourself be annoyed and aware and pay attention to other sounds and develop new triggers. Thank you. That's okay. I just want to say thank you so much for uh, your interests and uh, everything that you're doing because uh, you're an angel. You are an angel and it's just, it's magnificent. Thank you. Thank you so much. What is this again? VSP? What is this? And above the eyebrows? Above your eyebrows. It's the ventromedial prefrontal cortex. V-M-P-F-C. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Okay. Got it. And it's, and it's an emotional learning structure. So, for example, if you see a piece of paper uh, that's, you know, rectangular and it's laying on the ground, you go, oh, oh, whatever. But if you look down and you see it's a $100 bill, you immediately have a, hey, and have a positive emotional reaction. And that's the VMPFC. That's that little, you smell grandma's house and go, hey, I'm at grandma's house. That's the VMPFC that's learning and that's, that's sparking these positive emotions, but it also sparks the negative ones. It's, a, it's an emotional reflex learning structure, ventromedial prefrontal cortex. Okay. Okay. Got it. Cool. Cool. So something that comes up for me immediately, I don't know why, but I guess because of airplanes and turbulence. So I prefer direct flights, but one, you know, a lot of times when I was shooting a lot of movies in Shreveport, Louisiana, because of the tax incentive, we would always have to fly into Texas. I think it was Dallas or Houston. It was Dallas or Houston. One of the airports you have to fly from LA to Dallas or Houston. I think it's Dallas. And then it goes to Shreveport. There's no direct flight. And literally nine times out of 10, every single time the flight was delayed it was because of thunderstorms. And it's like, so I have a, a negative um, fearful thing because I don't like going up, going down. Like, I don't want to go four times. I already have to go, you know, one time up and one time down. I don't want to go two times up, two times down. So, you know, elimination, right? V-M-P-F-C. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> okay. Would that be the, that five letters of V-M-P-F-C from wanting that the emotional sensory, that connection of like not wanting to go to that airport because I know it's going to be delayed and, and yeah. I think so. That I think it's, a, it's, a, it's an automatic emotion, right? It's, it's <sighs> yeah, got it. Automatic. It's not, a, it's not a thoughtful. It's just like, Ugh. yeah. But if we think of Bali and Maldives, I'm like, ah. <laughs> <laughs> cool, cool. All right. We're honing it in here. I have heard you say misophonia is contagious. What do you mean by that? So if you hear a sound and you have a negative reaction, mm-hmm. that negative reaction includes a muscle tightening. And sound, muscle tightening, lizard brain sees it, that's misophonia. So if you have someone you love and you hear a sound and think, oh, no, that's going to upset them. Oh, oh no, that's going to make them mad. Then, then you hear the sound and you have a negative reaction and you develop a trigger to it. So, for example, one mother... All females, by the way, all the examples have been female, I've noticed. Uh, so are women more apt to having um, misophonia? No, but they're more apt to have more serious misophonia. So men are just as likely to have misophonia. So let's just suppose a dad uh, hears, so you you take a daughter, 12-year-old daughter, maybe explosive 12-year-old daughter when she's triggered, and she's triggered by mom's throat clearing. So dad hears mom clear her throat, and he thinks, 
oh no, Susie's gonna go ballistic. And so here's mom clear the throat, says, oh, Susie's gonna, did Susie hear that? And then all of a sudden, the lizard brain sees that throat clearing goes with dad clenching his shoulders. And now dad has misophonia. So just anytime you're connected with a person with misophonia, and especially the more aware and concerned you are for that person, when you hear their trigger, you you have a negative thought with a muscle tightening and you can you can develop misophonia mm. to their to their triggers. Mm -hmm. Wow. This conversation really, really um, enlightens the reasonings why we really need to be so compassionate and sentimental and sensitive, subtle with one another, because it's that slight, you know, we're really affecting one another. Right. But sometimes that compassion, like, again, when you know it's for another person and you feel that compassion, then you need to be able to relax and not have an ang a little, a mini anxiety attack, mm -hmm. which, which people who are very highly sensitive people and are very strongly emotionally connected often do right you have mm -hmm. that you feel their pain and again that just sets you up to pick up their triggers wow that's like a whole nother podcast <laughs> <laughs> seriously um okay so uh last question because i know we uh have been going rocking and rolling and we appreciate you being here and tom i'm so grateful you know for you you're amazing i know we already covered the initial uh physical reflex you know before we worked together i thought um i did not have what you call an initial uh physical reflex i thought i just instantly felt rage is that common? And why don't we recognize the initial physical reflex? We've talked about around this, that first little reflex that hits you from your lizard brain happens 200 milliseconds after you start hearing the sound. Maybe that's two tenths of a second, but maybe by three tenths of a second, you're in full-blown rage. And the rage just dwarfs everything else. And then you're having this rage and this distress response and your heart's beating really fast and you're sweating and, and you're clenching all the muscles in your body. So you just don't notice that initial physical reflex. It's a little bit like an avalanche. If you've ever seen a, a video of an avalanche, you get all the snow crashing down the hill, tumbling down all the tumult of the snow. Nobody talks about where that first little slip of the snow occurred, but it's that first slip that then triggered all of the big tumult of the of the avalanche. And that's that's misophonia. That initial reflex is just a first little click to your body, and then the emotions go crazy. Mm -hmm. So you don't people don't recognize it. And I've, and I've had most of the people I we've worked with think that they don't have an initial physical reflex, or if they think that they do, it's really part of their distress response. It's not, it's not what starts it all. Wonderful, wonderful. Um, cool. So, I mean, you are welcome back to She's All Over the Place anytime. It would be a complete honor to have you when you have new discoveries and anything new or anything more you want to share, uh, you know, with the audience. Um, and I just have to let everyone know uh, who's listening on the audio, who's not on the video. Tom and I both showed up today wearing this beautiful, like, purple. So we are in sync for you. 
we are totally in sync. So this is very, very exciting. Yeah. Any last words um, that you want to share with people? Um, everyone knows how to get in touch with you. So uh, it'll be in the show notes, but um, any last uh, words? Well, as the, uh, the motto from uh, Galaxy Quest, never give up, never surrender. I, I say have hope, hang in there. We're learning so much about misophonia. It's a horrible condition, but there is treatments currently. They're going to be better next year. They'll be better the year afterwards as we, as we learn more how to, how to change these reflexes. It's not a lifelong uh, tragic condition. So have hope and take action and learn to relax. Well, those words are were very insightful and very hopeful. So that's so great to hear. Thank you so much. That's really beautiful. Thank you. I appreciate you. You're welcome. It's a pleasure to be with you, Katie. Cool. Thank you so much, everyone, for tuning into She's All Over the Place. And we'll see and uh, talk with you next week. Ciao. Thank you so much for joining us. We'll see you next time. Kiriaki, over and out. <laughs>